You are Locked On Pelicans, your daily podcast on the New Orleans Pelicans, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome to another edition of Locked On Pelicans, the daily podcast covering your favorite team, the New Orleans Pelicans and NBA as a whole, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Available on Apple Podcasts, on iTunes, Stitcher, Alexa, wherever you get your podcasts from. I'm your host, Pelicans Insider, credential member of the media and editor over at LockedOnPelicans.com, Jake Madison, at Nola Jake on Twitter. Here with you all on this Wednesday, the day after the Pelicans season ended. Following a 113-104 loss to the Golden State Warriors that ends their second round series 4-1 in favor of Golden State. This was a fun one. It was not a fun one. And then it was a fun one again. We're going to recap this loss for you guys. Talk about the fight the Pelicans showed, where they went right, where they didn't. Man, they made it close at the end, and it was pretty fantastic to see. So we'll review that. We'll kind of talk about the offseason, review the season, talk about where this team goes, and kind of give you guys the roadmap for where we go from here, as well as some news going on around the NBA. Stan Van Gundy out in Detroit, and a former New Orleans assistant being hired over there in Charlotte. I'm going to play you clips from both of those podcasts as well. So we got a lot to cover in today's edition, the kind of mournful day after edition of Locked on Pelicans. So that was some game. I think that's maybe the easiest way to sum it up. You might go through a range of emotions from this one now that the Pelican season is officially over after a 4-1 series loss to the Golden State Warriors and a 113-104 final game five in Golden State. This was always going to be a big challenge for New Orleans. And I said it you know, yesterday and on the radio a bunch as well that I thought the Warriors smelled blood in the water and were ready to close this one out, knowing that Houston was likely going to do the same. And they did in the early game in the night, dispatching the Utah Jazz 4-1 in their series. They didn't want the Jazz to get a rest advantage on them whatsoever. And now that the Western Conference Finals are going to be starting on Monday, they're certainly not at least going to have an advantage there. But it'll be a little bit closer. That's, again, topic for another day. This was going to be a tough one, though. And all I said when I was on with uh, Gus Kattengill on the Sports Hangover on ESPN Radio 100.3 FM here in New Orleans, I just wanted to see some fight from this team. Go out, try really, really hard, try and make this as competitive as possible. Even if it was a blowout, don't give up. And you got that from this Pelicans team. And you got that this entire series. Even in game four, when they were blown out, they never gave up. They never quit until they just didn't want anyone to get hurt because there was still another game to go because they had extended the series. And if, if, if that's kind of your criterion, it was mine. I consider this a highly successful series for New Orleans. They took a game off Golden State. They made him start the Hampton Five starting lineup of Steph Curry, Clay Thompson, Iggy, Draymond Green, and Durant. Made them kind of get a little bit scared and forced that out there. And you know uh, Steve Kerr never goes to that lineup too often, the death lineup, because he doesn't want to run out of the effectiveness of it and keep using it in spurts. But he made him start it for two whole games because they were worried about what New Orleans might do. They gave him that hard of a series. So, yeah, it was 4-1, but this was closer than maybe the final score indicates, as was the game. Again, 113-104. We can run through some of the numbers here. But this was interesting. New Orleans came out sluggish in the first, being down by six at the end of the first quarter, 32-26, 
All things considered, they weren't looking good, but they were hitting three-pointers that kept them in the game. That was the biggest thing. I think they were six of nine in the first quarter, which kept them going. You had to figure that wasn't going to be sustainable for this New Orleans team. They're not built to shoot three-pointers and outscore you that way. They're built to run, and if you don't get running and you have to play in the half court against this Golden State team, you're going to get swallowed up. And that started to happen, but then... As we got late into the second quarter, New Orleans started playing in the fast break and they started to get out and run and they had, I think, 12 fast break points in that quarter alone. That's what you wanted to see from this team. Easy offense against Golden State. I've written about it over at LockedOnPelicans.com. This team is bad in the half court. They're not a good shooting team. They're not even an elite shooting team in transition, to be honest. They tend to rank around the middle of the pack, right around 10th or so, in the in the early on in the shot clock moments, things like that, when they are running. They just do it so damn often, and those shots are just so much more efficient than other shots are that it kind of is almost smoke and mirrors and elevates their offense and almost makes it look better than they really are because it's done out of sheer volume with how much they play in transition and the insanely fast pace that they play. But they got to that, and that's their identity, and it's what they need to do in this series. Don't be something different than what you are. And they got out, and they run, and they ran, and they managed to close this game and be down three, just three, at halftime against this Golden State Warriors team, and you had to feel pretty good about all of that. You had stellar play from Drew Holiday. Anthony Davis had 18 and 10 in the first half alone. That was exactly what you wanted to see out of these guys. Getting mismatches, getting offense, and getting just enough to keep up with this team. New Orleans was shooting well. They are doing everything you'd ask for. They kept the turnovers low. Exactly the type of ball that's gotten them here. And it showed that when they're playing their best, they can compete with this Warriors team. And then things changed a little bit, and the third quarter started. And it was bad. And that is a mild way of putting it. The Golden State Warriors absolutely threw the hammer down, winning the quarter 36-19. And it seemed way worse than that. But it was okay. You know, New Orleans just couldn't get anything going offensively. The Warriors started out on, I think it was a 16 or 15-2 to run in the third. Anthony Davis didn't have any points. And it looked like this was going to be a rehash of Game 4 where Golden State woke up. And they usually need to kind of see some adversity, feel some adversity, before they get kind of nervous and kick it into another gear. This team coasts. And they lulled us into sleep all throughout the regular season, making us think they weren't the best team in the NBA. And they showed in this series they absolutely are. And they maybe have the best starting lineup, the best lineup or group uh, roster, whatever you want to call it, ever assembled and they were brutal they were efficient Steph Curry was launching threes from the moon you couldn't stop Kevin Durant getting inside New Orleans looked lost turned the ball over you're running out bad lineup combinations Rajon Rondo got benched I could go on and on and on about how this was bad and again can't play in the half court against this team because they swallow New Orleans up they've got one of the few players in the league who gives him trouble in Draymond Green throwing Kevin Durant which is just not fair to do onto Drew Holiday creates a lot of problems you have Iguodala who's able to guard Miritich effectively and kill any spacing New Orleans might have with that each one more was having an off night he's been okay and pretty good this series but had a really bad third and fourth quarter and New Orleans had nothing but they started to come back a little bit just a little too late and at that point you could kind of feel this one really slipping away and all of a sudden it looked like it was going to be a blowout and a rout for the Golden State Warriors they had a 26 point lead at that point in time 
So before we get to the fourth quarter, this is called a tease, ladies and gentlemen. Make sure you listen to the Locked On NBA podcast five days a week. I'm up there on today's edition, the Wednesday edition, as always, co-hosting with John Corrales of Locked On Celtics, where we run down the games, preview some, uh, tonight's action. We've got a big game against the Celtics and the 76ers, as well as talk about coaching searches and different things like that, some of which we'll touch on here. So make sure you listen and subscribe daily to Locked On NBA. So the fourth quarter, and the game looked over, yet because of weird timeouts, we'll talk about all this in a moment, you know, you could see that the Pelicans weren't going to take Drew Holiday or Anthony Davis out, and they were going to play this until the end of the game, which is what I'd said in the beginning, you wanted to see, just fight, just try hard, don't give up, don't throw in the towel, you've got your season on the line, play with some desperation, play with some pride, and try and get it done. And New Orleans started to come roaring back, and that's best, the best way to put it. it was an 18-2 run over six and a half minutes of play that ended with 143 left in the fourth. And then the run ended, Golden State hit some shots, Drew Holiday missed a three, and that was basically all she wrote. But this game was close right up until the very end, and all of a sudden you could see Golden State getting a little bit nervous. Maybe the outcome wasn't fully in doubt, but there was a bit of a question there. And the nine-point win for Golden State, it was actually closer than what this final score um, indicated, or the game was closer than what the final score indicated. So good on the Pelicans for that fight. So let's run down some of the things we saw in this and what they wanted to do. Points in the paint, 56. Yep, that's what you want. 19 fast break points. It's more than the 11 in game four. Could have used some more of that in the third quarter, but when Golden State's hitting shots and they were hitting in the third, you don't really have an opportunity to run because you're supposed to, you have to inbound the ball, and there's not a whole lot you can do right there. Anthony Davis started cooking in this game after being quiet in that third. He had 18 in the first half, finished with 34 points on the night, 19 rebounds. That's a great night. Holiday was equally outstanding. 27 points, 11 assists, 10 rebounds, a triple-double for him. You had Rondo not even play in the fourth quarter, but provided that much-needed coaching on the bench. This is a guy who's known as kind of a team chemistry killer, a coach killer, and then you see him on the bench as engaged as anyone when he's such a liability that you got to take him out of the game he doesn't pout he's not sour about it he's out there coaching the guys up trying to help them do everything they can to win the game consummate professional and you got to be happy with the play you got from him didn't get much from really anyone else and that's kind of what hurt Nikola Mirotic finished with 12 points on the night three of six shooting from deep four of nine overall you just needed a bigger night from him Alvin Gentry said it best the other day. You beat this team by scoring, not by playing defense. You've got to outscore them so this team needed to get out and run. That's why you need more than 19 fast break points. That's why you need more than 12 points from Nikola Mirotic. Each one more in 40 minutes had just 10 points, was 1 of 3 shooting from deep, 4 of 12 overall from the field. He was very bad in this game. Four total turnovers, and anytime he got in the lane, if he got swallowed up, he doesn't have the playmaking ability to get the ball out. It usually resulted in a turnover and then a fast break for the Golden State Warriors who by the way on the night finished with 26 fast break points that's kind of big for them Uh, that's what they really were trying to do and try and beat this Pelicans team they can turn around a close game so quickly because they are elite at so many different things Bench didn't really step up much either for New Orleans Ian Clark had nine points Miller had five 
that's it. You had 14 total points from the bench. And those guys weren't playing very many minutes. But Ian Clark in almost 30 minutes of play, you need a little bit more from him. Darius Miller still indecisive at times. He had a nice drive to the hoop and then didn't go up for the dunk. Instead, it got missed the layup. And you got to wonder what he was doing right there. Solomon Hill only played, uh, played under three minutes in this one. That's how much of a liability he was. And the Pelicans knew they needed to score to keep up with this Warriors team. For the Warriors on the night, you had 28 points for Steph Curry. You had 23 points for Clay Thompson. And one of the reasons why you didn't see Rondo late, other than this is sometimes a thing the Pelicans do, he left Rondo, or he, Rondo left Clay Thompson wide open multiple times in the first quarter. You saw Clay Thompson hit a couple of corner threes. He had 12 or 14 points. Um, the stat side hasn't updated it just yet while I'm recording this. And it could have been a whole lot more. And he was quiet, really, the rest of the game almost. He was two of eight from three. He, you know, if he doesn't get that hot in the first quarter, this game might be a little bit different. And their Rondo's defense really hurt this team. Draymond Green averaged, uh, put up 19 points, nine assists, 14 rebounds. He averaged a triple-double in this series. You would Kevin Durant be Kevin Durant. 24 points, 7 assists, 6 rebounds, and then Iggy just with 2 points. But by the way, was a plus 25 on the night in 25 minutes. That's how effective he was defensively, taking Miritich out, switching on to different guys that he got put on. And ultimately, the Warriors are just the better team. And sometimes there's no shame in just losing to the better team when you gave it your all as the Pelicans did. So again, got to be very proud of this team. They did an excellent job. Couldn't have asked for much more than that from them. It's been a fun season for sure. So where do the Pelicans go from here? What are we going to be looking at? Obviously the thing we're going to talk about a ton over the next couple of weeks and we'll stretch this out because we don't want to, you know, blow it all in the beginning is what do you do about DeMarcus Cousins, re-sign him, not re-sign him. We're going to look at all angles with that here. And we might wind the podcast down a little bit. I need a bit of a break and I've started a new job and would like to put a good foot forward with that. Um, so, you know, we, we might be going to three days a week, something like that over the next couple of weeks, but we're going to be covering that DeMarcus Cousins thing from all angles. You guys know that there's still a lot, a lot to talk about with this team. Do you try and make a move? Do you bring Rondo back? Who do you target in free agency? What about in the second round? Are you going to potentially trade some picks? Things like that. A whole lot of what's going on here. But the core of this team looks good for the future. And Anthony Davis and Drew Holiday, maybe or maybe not cousins. And then everyone after that's expendable. But with the way Drew Holiday played in these playoffs, if he comes in like that next season, along with the level that Anthony Davis showed towards the end of the year in that first round series against the Portland Trailblazers, as well as given his best against a team that defends him very, very well here in the Golden State Warriors. This New Orleans team in the future looks very bright. And if you're a Pelicans fan, you should be excited about what they're going to be able to do. Obviously, it sounds like Alvin Gentry is going to be safe with this team. He said after the game that he and Dell Demps are on the same page. Both those guys sound like they're going to be here next year as well. And that's, I think, a good thing because it can sometimes be a big question mark if you make that change. We saw that a couple of years ago. But of course, we're going to be talking about that as well. It's a lot of fun with what's going on here. And, you know, it's going to be a new season starting tomorrow. So again, those are questions and things to look forward with the offseason. Of course, we'll have the coverage over at LockedOnPelicans.com. Right now, from John Nathan Raby, we have an open letter to 
future free agents and why you should sign here with New Orleans for less money for a vet minimum deal maybe and why this team is going to be looking so good next year if they can add one or two pieces to it. It's going to be a lot of fun to cover this team because this thing could go so many different ways and the future looks bright. So make sure you keep up with us over at LockedOnPelicans.com. So we're just going to kind of let the season ending loss marinate a little bit, think about it, and just let it chill. And we'll touch on this more and what we could have learned from this series and what it says about New Orleans. And I have some strong thoughts on this because I don't think you need to make a knee-jerk reaction to this series or think you're that close to a title and you need to kind of make a back-breaking move potentially that puts you in a long-term bind because you still have to think about the future for this team. And I don't think Golden State's going to be around forever like this. So we'll touch on all of that but some of the teams that are thinking for the long-term future and one that put themselves in a bad situation was the Detroit Pistons so I want to play a clip because Stan Van Gundy was let go maybe this is a cautionary tale on why you don't combine the head coach and team president slash GM role in this league anymore and it's good that Alvin Gentry and Dell Demps are going to be staying in their respective jobs Hey, this is Matt Shook of Locked On Pistons. But after a month, it finally happened. Stan Van Gundy was fired Monday by the Pistons as coach and president of basketball operations with a rather strange press release by the team where Tom Gores, the owner, and Stan Van Gundy, uh, he said Tom Gores the, that Stan wanted to return. Quote, Stan is a competitor and he wanted to finish the job, Gores said. Not quite sure exactly why Gores needs to be pointing that out. I don't know if that's a dig at Stan Van Gundy or if that's trying to uh, make him look better. It was a strange way of putting that. After four years, with one year remaining on his contract, uh, Stan will not be coming back. Van Gundy's four years featured a rapid ascent to the playoffs in year two after taking over a franchise stuck in the mud. But the last two were obviously disappointing seasons, hindered by reckless free agent misses and draft night head scratchers, most notably taking Luke Kennard over Donovan Mitchell last summer. Uh, as Mitchell began to looks like a star starring career that he's going to have with the Utah Jazz, and that one spelled the end of the Stan Van Gundy era. We may never know what happened in the days of California meetings between Gores and Van Gundy that dragged out recently, and why did they drag out so long is the biggest question probably on Pistons fans right now uh, on the minds. But Adrian Wojnarowski of ESPN reported that last week that Gores wanted Stan Van Gundy to stay on as coach but retool the front office structure, but. They weren't able to reach that agreement, nor were they able to get into any extension that Stan Van Gundy was likely pining for with only one year left in his deal. So Dan will collect $7 million and probably have his pick of television jobs as he's an engaging and compelling personality in front of the microphones. All told, it'll probably be better for him uh, as a, than a lame duck year under a new boss that didn't, didn't hire him. So the Pistons joined the coach and executive searches nearly a month after their season ended. Again, why did that take so long? Names like Steve Clifford, Mike Budenholzer, or former Piston Jerry Stackhouse figure to be tossed around in terms of coaching candidates, although this job certainly ranks below division rival Milwaukee in the pecking order of openings. And you can draw your own conclusions as fans and, and coaches out there about where the Pistons fall in terms of some of these other ones, like the Charlottes or maybe the rebuilding teams such as Atlanta that still have openings as well. Uh, Woj of ESPN also reported that uh, former Arn Tellen client, client Brent Berry could be involved in the new front office as well. Former Pistons star Chauncey Billups was also attached to the team uh, team's front office in a report from Mark Stein of the New York Times 
earlier this year in January as potentially part of the revamped front office for the Pistons and his former team. The team will move forward to the potentially awkward and injury-prone core of Blake Griffin, Reggie Jackson, and Andre Drummond with little salary cap flexibility and almost assuredly no first-round pick next month. But if there's one thing we can guess about Gores, a Malibu resident who has gravitated more to his glitzy life in California than his Michigan background, it's that he's probably going to want to make a splash. Based on his bidding of Van Gundy away from the Warriors four years ago and his at least approval of the Griffin trade this year, he'll be hoping to make that big splash and get the Pistons out there and in a winning position, especially in the newspapers and on Twitter uh, right away and hopefully back in the playoffs as quickly as this year. And we will see how that works out for the Detroit Pistons down the road, again, who have fired Stan Van Gundy as coach and president of basketball operations. This is Matt Shook for Locked On Pistons. Thanks for listening. How much better do you feel about your team right now, New Orleans Pelican fan? Yeah, Detroit's in a bit of a mess, salary cap hell. And I think this goes to show that maybe New Orleans did a good job of staying the course after last season with Alvin Gentry and Dell Demps. Yes, there was serious concern that they might lose their jobs. Maybe it wasn't concern if you didn't like what was going on. But ultimately, the team decided to keep them, and that seems to have paid off. And combining those roles, which they would have probably needed to do for a guy like Coach Cal, for a guy like Jeff Van Gundy, seems like it ultimately might have ended up as a disaster. Look what's going on in Minnesota with Thibodeau. That doesn't look like it's going well. Doc Rivers was relieved of those GM duties and everything because that was a bit of a mess. Same thing with Coach Budenholzer over in Atlanta who was coach and team president. And now you have Stan Van Gundy with everything here in um, Detroit. And it didn't work out. It's just too much for one man to handle. So definitely not a good thing to see. And now they don't need to worry about it new orleans doesn't need to worry about it makes you feel a little bit better about what's going on last clip i'm going to play for you guys today james borrego hired by the charlotte hornets i think this is a great great hire for them if that name sounds familiar it's because he was an assistant under monty williams for two years here in new orleans before moving on this this guy's been an up-and-coming coach for a little while now so it's nice to see him get a head coaching gig and try and rehabilitate the culture and everything that's going on there in charlotte so let me play you the clip courtesy of locked on hornets i'm walker mail of the locked on hornets podcast The Charlotte Hornets now have selected James Borrego as their new head coach. Again, this is coming after the Hornets had finalized a couple of head coaching candidates in the Spurs assistant James Borrego and the Celtics assistant Jay Laranega. Again, Adrian Wojnarowski just reporting that James Borrego would be the new head coach for the Charlotte Hornets. Now, Borrego comes in having had 10 years of experience under Greg Popovich, did serve a short stint with the Orlando Magic under Jacques Vaughn, eventually taking over for him when he was let go by the Magic and accumulating a 10-20 and 20 record as the interim head coach. Of course, Scott Skiles comes in with Orlando to become the new head coach, and Borrego goes back to the San Antonio Spurs to serve under Greg Popovich. Also served under Monty Williams for a brief stint with the New Orleans then Hornets, um, Monty Williams, of course, coming also from that Greg Popovich tree. So James Borrego has a little bit of head coaching experience as the interim head coach with Orlando, but also a ton of experience under what a lot of people consider to be the best coach in today's NBA and maybe of all time and Greg Popovich. So Borrego now replaces Steve Clifford, who was fired at the end of this regular season as Mitch Kupchak, the new general manager of the Charlotte Hornets, came in and decided Steve Clifford's fate. Mitch Kupchak again served a long time with the Los Angeles Lakers, about 20 years. 
And he is at the helm now of the Charlotte Hornets decision-making as the general manager who now brings in James Borrego. A couple of other questions to go on with the Charlotte Hornets as what their future may look like. You do have Kimba Walker, who was rumored in some trade consideration really before the trade deadline. They held on to him then. It does not mean that he is a surefire thing to stay on this Charlotte Hornets roster. So who knows what Mitch Kupchak decides to do there. You do have, of course, Dwight Howard, who is a guy that is a big man down low that is kind of losing some value in today's NBA, but still carries a hefty contract. You wonder what kind of trading, what kind of trading partners the Charlotte Hornets could see there. There's a lot of questions for the Charlotte Hornets team, but one that is no longer a question. They did find the answer, at least of now, and that is James Borrego, the San Antonio Spurs former assistant, now the Charlotte Hornets new head coach. Again, thanks for listening. I'm Walker Mail on the Lockdown Hornets podcast. And again, that should make you feel pretty good as a New Orleans Pelican fan because all of a sudden you see why maybe staying the course with a GM who has a vision and isn't giving out bad contracts anymore, hopefully, uh, can keep you going and into playoff contention because that roster is a bit of a mess. A lot of guys are overpaid and they're a bit in salary cap hell. But I do really like James Borrego as a hire. That's a guy who's got some very good ability to, to develop players. That's something he did. Um, so it was a lot of fun to see what he's done there in San Antonio. All around good guy who's made the most of what he's, every spot he's been in. Up and coming head coach and hopefully he brings something new to the Charlotte Hornets and gets them back into playoff contention because they definitely underachieved last season. And finally, before I let you all go, I just want to say thank you. Thank you all for listening. Thank you for all the support this year as it's been a whole lot of fun. And it's truly been my pleasure to be alongside you all for this entire ride for the playoffs, for the regular season, through all the ups and downs. And it's not the other way around. You guys should not thank me for what I do. It's me thanking you for listening. And again, for all the support of the Locked On Pelicans podcast, for the Locked On Podcast Network, for Locked On NBA, for LockedOnPelicans.com, I'm saying locked way too much, and the entire crew over at LockedOnPelicans.com. They appreciate it. It was a lot of these guys' first season doing this kind of thing, and your support means a lot to them. So please keep it up. Keep listening. We're going to have a lot of fun this offseason. And just one more time, Thank you all. This is why we do this kind of thing. So that's going to do it for the Pelicans regular season. Tomorrow morning, when you're listening to this, a new season starts. It's going to be a lot of fun. We got a lot to cover, and we're definitely going to do it over here at Locked on Pelicans. So thank you all. As always, I'm your host, Jake Madison, at Nola Jake on Twitter. I'll be back with you all tomorrow.